0: Chapter 5 of A Dark Night's Work. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Grace Byrne, OddlyAware.com. A Dark Night's Work by Elizabeth Clegghorn Gaskell. Chapter 5 A few days afterwards. Eleanor's father bethought himself that same further communication ought to take place between him and his daughter's lover, regarding the approval of the family, of the latter to the young man's engagement, and he accordingly wrote a very gentlemanly letter, saying that of course he trusted that Rolf had informed his father of his engagement, that Mr. Corbett was well known to Mr. Wilkins by reputation, holding the position which he did in Shropshire, but that as Mr. Wilkins did not pretend to be in the same station of life Mr. Corbett might possibly never even have heard of his name, although in his own county it was well known as having been for generations that of the principal conveyancer and land agent of Blankshire, that his wife had been a member of that old knightly family of holsters, and that he himself was descended from a younger branch of the South Wales de Wintons, or Wilkins, that Eleanor, as his only child, would naturally inherit all his property, but that in the meantime, of course, some settlement upon her would be made, the nature of which might be decided nearer at the time of the marriage. It was a very good straightforward letter, and well fitted for the purpose to which Mr. Wilkins knew it would be applied, of being forwarded to the young man's father. One would have thought that it was not an engagement so disproportionate in point of station as to cause any great opposition on that score. But, unluckily, Captain Corbett, the heir and eldest son, had just formed a similar engagement with Lady Maria Brabant, the daughter of one of the proudest earls in Blankshire, who had always resented Mr. Wilkins's appearance on the field as an insult to the county, and ignored his presence at every dinner-table where they met. Lady Maria was visiting the Corbets at the very time when Ralph's letter enclosing Mr. Wilkins' Reached the paternal halls, and she merely repeated her father's opinions when Mrs. Corbett and her daughters naturally questioned her as to who these Wilkinses were. They remembered the name in Ralph's letters formerly. The father was some friend of Mr. Ness's, the clergyman with whom Ralph had read. They believed Ralph used to dine with these Wilkinses sometime, along with Mr. Ness. Lady Maria was a good natured girl, and meant no harm in repeating her father's words touched up it is true by some of the dislike she herself felt to the intimate alliance it proposed which would make her sister-in-law to the daughter of an upstart attorney not received in the county always trying to push his way into the set above him claiming connection with the de wintons of blank castle who as she well knew only laughed when he was spoken of and said they were more rich in relations than they were aware of not people papa would ever like her to know whatever might be the family connection. These little speeches, told in a way which the girl who uttered them did not intend they should. Mrs. Corbett and her daughters set themselves violently against this foolish entanglement of Volfs. They would not call it an engagement, they argued, and they urged, and they pleaded, till the squire, anxious for peace at any price, and always more under the sway of the people who were with him, however unreasonable they might be, than of the absent, even though these had the wisdom of Solomon or the prudence and sagacity of his son Rolf, wrote an angry letter saying that as Rolf was of age, of course he had a right to please himself. Therefore, all his father could say was that the engagement was not at all what either he or Rolf's mother had expected or hoped, that it was a degradation to the family just going to ally themselves with a peer of James the First's creation, that of course Rolf must do as he liked but that if he married this girl he must never expect to have her received by the corbettes of Corbet hall as a daughter the squire was rather satisfied with his production and took it to show to his wife but she did not think it was strong enough and added a little postscript dear rolfe though as second son you are entitled to bromley at my death yet i can do much to make that estate worthless hitherto regard for you has prevented my taking steps "'as to sell of timber, etc., "'which would materially increase your sister's portions. "'This just measure I shall infallibly take, "'if I find you persevere in keeping to this silly engagement. "'Your father's disapproval is always a sufficient reason to allege.' "'Wolf was annoyed at the receipt of these letters, "'though he only smiled as he locked them up in his desk. "'Dear old father, how he blusters!' As to my mother, she is reasonable when I talk to her. Once give her a definite idea of what Eleanor's fortune will be, and let her, if she chooses, cut down her timber, a threat she has held over me ever since I knew what a rocking horse was, and which I have known to be illegal these ten years past. And she'll come around. I know better than they do how Reginald had run up post-obits, and as for that vulgar high-born Lady Maria they're all so full of. Why, she is a Flanders mare to my Eleanor has not a silver penny to cross herself with, besides, I bide my time, you dear good people. He did not think it necessary to reply to these letters immediately, nor did he even allude through their contents in his To Eleanor. Mr. Wilkins, who had been very well satisfied with his own letter to the young man, and I thought that it must be equally agreeable to everyone, was not at all suspicious of any disapproval because the fact of a distinct sanction on the part of mr ralph corbett's friends to his engagement was not communicated to him as for eleanor she trembled all over with happiness such a summer for the blossoming of flowers and ripening of fruit had not been known for years it seemed to her as if bountiful loving nature wanted to fill the cup of eleanor's joy to overflowing and as if everything animate and inanimate sympathized with her happiness her father was well and apparently content miss monroe was very kind dixon's lameness was quite gone off only mr dunster came creeping about the house on pretence of business seeking out her father and disturbing all his leisure with his dust-coloured parchment skin careworn face and seeming to disturb the smooth current of her daily life whenever she saw him Eleanor made her appearance at the hamley assemblies but with less eclat than either her father or her lover expected her beauty and natural grace were admired by those who could discriminate, but to the greater number there was what they called a want of style. Want of elegance? There certainly was not, for her figure was perfect, and though she moved shyly, she moved well. Perhaps it was not a good place for a correct appreciation Miss Wilkins. Some of the old dowagers thought it a piece of presumption in her to be there at all, but the lady holster of the day, who remembered her husband's quarrel, with Mr. Wilkins, and looked away whenever Eleanor came near, resented this opinion. Miss Wilkins is descended from Sir Frank's family, one of the oldest in the county. The objection might have been made years ago to the father, but as he had been received, she did not know why Miss Wilkins was to be alluded to as out of her place. Eleanor's greatest enjoyment in the evening was to hear her father say, after all was over and they were driving home well i thought my nelly the prettiest girl there and i think i know some other people who would have said the same if they could have spoken out thank you papa said Eleanor, squeezing his hand which she held she thought he alluded to the absent Rolf as the person who would have agreed with him had he had the opportunity of seeing her but no he seldom thought much of the absent but had been rather flattered by seeing lord hildbrand "'take up his glass for the apparent purpose of watching Eleanor. "'Your pearls, too, were as handsome as any in the room, child, "'but we must have them reset. "'The sprays are old-fashioned now. "'Let me have them to-morrow to send up to Hancock.' "'Papa, please. "'I had rather keep them as they are, as Mamma wore them.' "'He was touched in a minute. "'Very well, darling. "'God bless you for thinking of it.' "'But he ordered her a set of sapphires instead.' for the next assembly. These balls were not such as to intoxicate Eleanor with success and make her in love with gaiety. Large parties came from the different country houses in the neighborhood, and danced with each other. When they had exhausted the resources they brought with them, they had generally a few dances to spare for friends of the same standing with whom they were most intimate. Eleanor came with her father, and joined an old card-playing dowager by way of a chaperone the said dowager being under old business obligations to the firm of wilkins and son and apologizing to all her acquaintance for her own weak condescension to mr wilkins foible and wishing to introduce his daughter into society above her natural sphere it was upon this lady after she had uttered some such speech as the one i have just mentioned that lady holster had come down with the pedigree of Eleanor's mother but though the old dowager had drawn back a little discomfited at my lady's reply she was not more attentive to Eleanor. in consequence she allowed mr wilkins to bring in his daughter and place her on the crimson sofa beside her spoke to her occasionally in the interval that elapsed before the rubbers could be properly arranged in the card-room invited the girl to accompany her to that sober amusement and on Eleanor's declining and preferring to remain with her father the dowager left her with a sweet smile on her plump countenance and an approving conscience somewhere within a portly frame assuring her that she had done all that could possibly have been expected from her towards that good wilkins daughter Eleanor stood by her father watching the dances and thankful for the occasional chance of a dance while she had been sitting by her chaperone mr wilkins had made the tour of the room dropping out the little fact of his daughters being present wherever he thought the seed likely to bring forth the fruit of partners and some came because they liked mr wilkins and some asked Eleanor because they had done their duty dances to their own party and might please themselves so that she usually had an average of one invitation to every three dances, and this principally towards the end of the evening. But considering her real beauty, and the care which her father always took about her appearance, she met with far less than her due of admiration. Admiration she did not care for, partners she did, and sometimes felt mortified when she had to sit or stand quiet during all the first part of the evening. If, it had not been for her father's wishes, she would much rather have stayed at home, but nevertheless, she talked even to the irresponsive old Dowager and fairly chatted to her father when she got beside him, because she did not like him to fancy that she was not enjoying herself, and indeed, she had so much happiness in the daily course of this part of her life that, on looking back upon it afterwards, she could not imagine anything brighter than it had been. the delight of receiving her lover's letters the anxious happiness of replying to them, always a little bit fearful that she should not express herself in her love in the precisely happy medium becoming a maiden. The father's love and satisfaction in her, the calm prosperity of the whole household, was delightful at the time, and looking back upon it, it was dreamlike. Occasionally Mr. Corbett came down to see her. He had always slept on these occasions at Mr. Ness's, but he was at Ford Bank, the greater part, of the one day between two nights that he allowed himself for the length of his visits. And even these short peeps were not frequently taken. He was working hard at law, fagging at it tooth and nail, arranging his whole life so as best to promote the ends of his ambition, feeling a delight in surpassing and mastering his fellows, those who started in the race at the same time. He read Eleanor's letters over and over again, nothing else beside law books, he perceived the repressed love hidden away in subdued expressions in her communications, with an amused pleasure at the attempt at concealment. He was glad that her gaieties were not more gay. He was glad that she was not too much admired, although a little indignant at the want of taste on the part of the Blankshire gentleman. But if other admirers had come prominently forward, he would have had to take some more decided steps to assert his rights than he had hitherto done, for he had caused Eleanor to express a wish to her father that her engagement should not be too much talked about until nearer the time when it would be prudent for him to marry her. He thought that the knowledge of this, the only imprudently hasty step he had ever meant to take in his life, might go against his character for wisdom, if the fact became known, while he was as yet only a student. Mr. Wilkins wondered a little, but acceded, as he always did, to any of Eleanor's requests. Mr. Ness was a confidant, of course, and some of Lady Maria's connections heard of it, I forgot it again very soon, and, as it happened, no one else was sufficiently interested in Eleanor to care to ascertain the fact. All this time, Mr. Rolf Corbett maintained a very quietly decided attitude towards his own family. He was engaged to Miss Wilkins, and all he could say was he felt sorry that they disapproved of it. He was not able to marry just at present, and before the time for his marriage arrived, he trusted that his family would take a more reasonable view of things and be willing to receive her as his wife with all-becoming respect or affection this was the substance of what he repeated in different forms of reply to his father's angry letters at length his invariable determination made way with his father the paternal thunderings were subdued to a distant rumbling in the sky and presently the inquiry was broached as to how much fortune miss wilkins would have how much Dan on her marriage what were the eventual probabilities now this was a point which Mr. Ralph Corbett himself wished to be informed upon. He had not thought much about it in making the engagement. He had been too young, or too much in love. But an only child of a wealthy attorney ought to have something considerable, and an allowance so as to enable the young couple to start housekeeping in a moderately good part of town would be advantage to him in his profession. So he replied to his father, adroitly suggesting that a letter containing certain modifications of the inquiry, which had been rather roughly put in Mr. Corbett's last, should be sent to him, in order that he might himself ascertain from Mr. Wilkins what were Eleanor's prospects as regarded fortune. The desired letter came, but not in such a form that he could pass it on to Mr. Wilkins. He preferred to make quotations, and even these quotations were a little altered and dressed before he sent them on. The gist of his letter to Mr. Wilkins was this, He stated that he hoped soon to be in a position to offer Eleanor a home, that he anticipated a steady progress in his profession, and consequently in his income, but that contingencies might arise, as his father suggested, which would deprive him of the power of earning a livelihood, perhaps when it might be more required than it would be adverse, That it was true that, after his mother's death, a small estate in Shropshire would come to him as a second son, and of course Eleanor would receive the benefits of this property, secured to her legally as Mr. Wilkins thought best, that being a matter for after discussion, but that at present his father was anxious, as might be seen from the extract, to ascertain whether Mr. Wilkins could secure him from the contingency of having his son's widow and possible children thrown upon his hands, by giving Eleanor a dowry, and if so, it was gently insinuated, what would be the amount of the same? When Mr. Wilkins received this letter, it startled him out of a happy daydream. He liked Ralph Corvette, and the whole connection quite well enough to give his consent to an engagement, and sometimes even he was glad to think that Eleanor's future was assured, and that she would have a protector and friends after he was dead and gone. But he did not want them to assume their responsibilities so soon. He had not distinctly contemplated her marriage as an event likely to happen before his death. He could not understand how his own life would go on without her, or indeed why she and Ralph at Corbett could not continue just as they were at present. He came down to breakfast with the letter in his hand. By Eleanor's blushes as she glanced at the handwriting, he knew that she had heard from her lover by the same post, by her tender caresses, caresses given as if to make up for the pain which the prospect of her leaving him was sure to cause him. He was certain that she was aware of the contents of the letter. Yet he put it, in his pocket and tried to forget it. He did this not merely from reluctance, to complete any arrangement which might facilitate Eleanor's marriage. There was a further annoyance connected with the affair. His money matters had been for some time in an involved state. He had been living beyond his income, even reckoning that, as he always did, at the highest point which it ever touched. He kept no regular accounts reasoning with himself or perhaps i should rather say persuading himself that there was no great occasion for regular accounts when he had a steady income arising from his profession as well as the interest of a good sum of money left him by his father and when living in his own house near a country town where provisions were cheap his expenditure for a small family only one child could never amount to anything like his incomings from the above-mentioned sources but servants and horses, and choice wines and rare fruit-trees, and a habit of purchasing any book or engraving that may take the fancy irrespective of the price, run away with money, even though there be but one child. A year or two ago, Mr. Wilkins had been startled into a system of exaggerated retrenchment. Retrenchment, which only lasted about six weeks, by the sudden bursting of a bubble speculation in which he had invested a part of his father's savings— but as soon as the change in his habits necessitated by his irksome new economies became irksome, he had comforted himself for his relapse into his former easy extravagance of living by remembering the fact that Eleanor was engaged to the son of a man of large property, and that, though Rolf was only the second son, yet his mother's estate must come to him, as Mr. Ness had already mentioned, on first hearing of her engagement. Mr. Wilkins did not doubt That he could easily make Eleanor a fitting allowance, or even pay down a requisite dowry. But the doing so would involve an examination into the real state of his affairs, and this involved distasteful trouble. He had no idea how much more than mere temporary annoyance would arise out of the investigation. Until it was made, he decided in his own mind that he would not speak to Eleanor on the subject of her lover's letter. So, for the next few days, she was kept in suspense, Seeing little of her father, and during the short time she was with him she was made aware that he was nervously anxious to keep the conversation engaged on general topics rather than on the one which she had at heart. As I have already said, Mr Corbett had written to her by the same post as that on which he sent the letter to her father, telling her of its contents, and begging her, in all those sweet words which lovers know how to use, to urge her father to compliance for his sake. His her lovers who was pining and lonely in all the crowds of london since her loved presence was not there he did not care for money save as a means of hastening their marriage indeed if there were only some income fixed however small some time for their marriage fixed however distant, he could be patient he did not want superfluity of wealth his habits were simple as she well knew and money enough would be theirs in time both from her share of contingencies and the certainty of his finally possessing Bromley, Eleanor delayed replying to this letter until her father should have spoken to her on the subject. But as she perceived that he avoided all such conversation, the young girl's heart failed her. She began to blame herself for wishing to leave him to reproach herself for being accessory to any step which made him shun being alone with her and look distressed and full of care as he did now. It was the usual struggle between father and lover for the possession of love, instead of the natural and graceful resignation of the parent to the prescribed course of things. And, as usual, it was the poor girl who bore the suffering for no fault of her own, although she blamed herself for being the cause of the disturbance in the previous order of affairs. Eleanor had no one to speak to confidentially but her father and her lover, and when they were at issue she could talk openly to neither. So she brooded over Mr. Corbett's unanswered letter— her father's silence and became pale and dispirited once or twice she looked up suddenly and caught her father's eye gazing upon her with a certain wistful anxiety but the instant she saw this he pulled himself up as it were and would begin talking gaily about the small topics of the day at length mr corbett grew impatient at not hearing either from mr wilkins or Eleanor, and wrote urgently to the former making known to him a new proposal suggested to him by his father, which was that a certain sum should be paid down by Mr. Wilkins to be applied, under the management of trustees, to the improvement of the Bromley estate, out of the profits of which, or other sources in the elder Mr. Corbett's hands, a heavy rate of interest should be paid on this advance, which would secure an income to the young couple immediately, and considerably increase the value of the estate upon which Eleanor's settlement was to be made. The terms offered for this laying down of ready money were so advantageous that Mr. Wilkins was strongly tempted to accede to them at once, as Eleanor's pale cheek and want of appetite had only that very morning smote upon his conscience, and this immediate transfer of ready money was as a sacrifice, a soothing balm to his self-reproach, and laziness and dislike to immediate unpleasantness of action had its counterbalancing weakness in imprudence. Mr. Wilkins made some rough calculations on a piece of paper, deeds, and all such tests of accuracy being done at the office, discovered that he could pay down the sum required, wrote a letter agreeing to the proposal, and before he sealed it called Eleanor into his study, and bade her read what he had been writing, and tell him what she thought of it. He watched the colour come rushing into her white face, her lips quiver and tremble, and even before the letter was ended, she was in his arms kissing him and thanking him with blushing caresses rather than words. There, there, said he, smiling and sighing. That will do. Why, I do believe you took me for a hard-hearted father, just like an heroine's father in a book. You've looked as woe gone this week past as Ophelia. One can't make up one's mind in a day about such sums of money as this, little woman, and you should have let your old father have time to consider. Oh, papa, I was only afraid you were angry. Well, if I was a bit perplexed, Seeing you look so ill and pining was not the way to bring me round. Old Corbett, I must say, is trying to make a good bargain for his son. It is well for me that I have never been an extravagant man. But, Papa, we don't want all this much. Yes, yes, it is all right. You shall go into their family as a well-proportioned girl, if you can't go as a Lady Maria. Come, don't trouble your little head any more about it. Give me one more kiss, and then we'll go and order the horses— and have a ride together by way of keeping holiday. I deserve a holiday, don't I, nelly Some country people at work at the roadside, as the father and daughter passed along, stopped to admire their bright, happy looks, and one spoke of the hereditary handsomeness of the Wilkins family, for the old man, the present Mr. Wilkins' father, had been fine looking in his drab breeches and gaiters, and usual assumption of a young man's dress. Another said, it was easy for the rich to be handsome, they had always plenty to eat, and could ride when they were tired of walking, and had no care for the morrow to keep them from sleeping at nights. And, in sad acquiescence with their contrasted lot, the men went on with their hedging and ditching in silence. And yet, if they had known, if the poor did know, the troubles and temptations of the rich, if those men had foreseen the lot darkening over the father, and including the daughter in its cloud, if mr wilkins himself had even imagined such a future possible well there was truth in the old heathen saying let no man be envied till his death Eleanor had no more rides with her father no not ever again though they had stopped that afternoon at the summit of a breezy common and looked at a ruined hall not so very far off and discussed whether they could reach it that day and decided that it was too far away for anything but a hurried inspection and that some day soon they would make the old place into the principal object of an excursion but a rainy time came on when no rides were possible and whether it was the influence of the weather or some other care or trouble that oppressed him mr wilkins seemed to lose all wish for much active exercise and rather sought a stimulus to his spirits in circulation and wine but of this eleanor was innocently unaware he seemed dull and weary and sat long drowsing and drinking after dinner if the servants had not been so fond of him for much previous generosity and kindness they would have complained now, and with reason of his irritability, for all sorts of things seemed to annoy him, you should get the master to take a ride with you, Miss said Dixon one day, as he was putting Eleanor on her horse. He's not looking well; he's studying too much at the office, but when Eleanor named it to her father, he rather hastily replied that it was all very well for women to ride out whenever they liked. Men had something else to do, and then, as he saw her look grave and puzzled he softened down his abrupt saying by adding that Dunster had been making a fuss about his partner's non-attendance and altogether taking a good deal upon himself in a very offensive way so that he thought it better to go pretty regularly to the office in order to show him who was master, senior partner, and head of business at any rate. Eleanor sighed a little over her disappointment at her father's preoccupation and then forgot her own little regret and anger at Mr. Dunster who had seemed all along to be a thorn in her father's side and had latterly gained some power and authority over him the exercise of which eleanor could not help thinking was a very impertinent line of conduct from a junior partner so lately only a paid clerk to a superior there was a sense of something wrong in the ford bank household for many weeks about this time mr wilkins was not like himself and his cheerful ways and careless genial speeches were missed even on the days when he was not irritable and evidently uneasy with himself and all about him. The spring was late in coming, and cold rain and sleep made any kind of outdoor exercise a trouble and a discomfort rather than a bright natural event in the course of the day. All sound of winter gaieties, of assemblies and meets, and jovial dinners had died away, and the summer pleasures were as yet unthought of. Still, Eleanor had a secret perennial source of sunshine in her heart. Whenever she thought of Rolf, it could not— feel much oppression from the present unspoken and indistinct gloom he loved her and oh how she loved him and perhaps this very next autumn that depended on his own success in his profession after all if it was not this autumn it would be the next and with the letters that she received weekly and the occasional visits that her lover ran down to hamley to pay mr ness Eleanor felt as if she would almost prefer the delay of the time which well, she must leave her father's for her husband's proof End of CHAPTER five. Recording by Grace Byrne Odleyaware dot com